Hello everyone, welcome to Soulmates Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Rachel. And today we are going to be talking about the Netflix fantasy romance K-drama, Arthdal Chronicles. Yes. What is Arthdal Chronicles? We'll just jump right in. Arthdal Chronicles is basically a fantasy historical drama. It's definitely all of those. I think I, I sent you a text. I was like, it's if 10,000 BC had a baby with Game of Thrones. Yes, it's very similar to that. <laughs> think Game of Thrones cavemen. Maybe not cavemen, but maybe a little after cavemen. Yeah. But that's basically the idea. The seedlings of civilization. It's not supposed to be, like, historical. It's all, like, a made-up fantasy. It's, like, made-up history. But it's very close. It obviously draws inspiration from actual historical people and events. It's actually still airing. It started airing June 1st, and you can catch it on Netflix, and when there's new episodes, they update the Netflix. And it's currently airing on Korean television right now on TBN, and I believe it airs um, twice a week, like it usually does in Asia, and then they update it on Netflix. So it's simulcast, as the kids call it. Nice. I actually really like that. I've noticed that Netflix has been doing that recently with a lot of other shows, too. This is our first time reviewing something that is simulcast, so maybe we'll continue to do that in the future if you guys thought this review was helpful. Yes, so we are only going to be reviewing the first three episodes. There are a couple more than that out right now, but we wanted to focus on the first three because a lot happens and also... Because it's still a developing story, and we kind of wanted to get into the plot a little more, and because there's so much happening, we decided to stick to the first three. Yeah, each episode is over an hour long, so just those three episodes that we watched was close to four and a half hours of content, I would say. They're anywhere between 70 and 80 minutes long. I was like, oh my god! Yeah, they're they're a long watch, so if you really want to binge watch something, this is definitely a time commitment, but you will pass the time with this. If you are looking for a serious drama commitment, this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is actually produced by Studio Dragon, which is known for their high-quality dramas like Mr. Sunshine, which is also another Netflix partnership, and Memories of the Alhambra, and a couple more, but those are their two main ones. The production cost for this was more than 40 billion won, which is about $35 million. Yeah. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And you can tell how expensive this show is. You know, they picked a nice looking location. The costuming is all very tailored to specific tribes. They invented a language. I mean, there, there's there been a lot of money put into this for sure. Was it well spent? <laughs> I don't know. We'll talk about that later, but... <laughs> yeah. Critics are uh, split on if the money was well spent. Yes. But yeah, just know that this is very high production value. They shot in Brunei and in South Korea, and there's CGI in this, and the costuming is impeccable. They did a really good job with it, actually. It's really amazing. I don't think I've ever seen a fantasy K-drama go this hard in costuming. Yeah, and I mean, I've definitely seen my fair of historical K-dramas, too, but that's different. It's different costuming, so mm -hmm. props to them. So, Arthel Chronicles is directed by Kim Won-suk, and it was written by Kim Young-hyun, 
and Park Sang-yun. It stars the following actors and actresses. Some of them you may recognize from other K-dramas. They definitely picked people that were recognizable. So the first is uh, Jong Dong-gun, who plays Taegon in the show. The second is Song Jong-ki, who plays Eunsum in the show. The third is Kim Ji-won, who plays Tanya in the show. And last but not least is Kim Okvin, who plays Teala in the show. And there are lots of other actors and actresses in the show. It's a huge freaking cast. A huge cast. A cast of thousands, almost. Those are the four main characters, but there are at least 50 side characters that you kind of have to know the faces of and know the backgrounds of to understand what's going on. So, Which is why the tribal costumes are kind of helpful. Yes, very helpful. (laughs) So you can identify, oh, they're in that tribe, so they must be like this. (laughs) Yes. And before we really dive into the episode reviews, I will say that it is a difficult digest, not something you want to be distracted watching because you will not know what the hell is going on. I have watched the first episode twice, and I still (laughs) am a little unsure on some details. It is... Not an easy watch. I will be upfront about that. It's not easy. It's very involved. Some people really like that. I'm more of a, let me relax, drink a little wine, watch a little romance <laughs> with my K-dramas. Though I really do love fantasy, so I was kind of torn about this. Yeah, I really love complicated fantasy too, but there were definitely some plot things that I missed. We actually read some plot summaries on a website called Drama Beans. Thanks, Drama Beans. (laughs) Thanks, Drama Beans. That helped a lot because there were a few small details that I missed, but that were important to the plot. Let's go ahead and just dive into the episode. We're going to do a brief overview of the plot of the first three episodes so we can get our discussion rolling. This will be spoilery. I'm putting it out there. If you want to watch this show and you want to be surprised from the very beginning, go ahead and tune out and then come back in at around probably the 25-minute mark for our rankings and watch it yourself. But if you think you want to listen to us recap the episodes to see if you'd actually like the show or not, continue listening. There are more than three episodes, guys. This is only the first three. There's a lot of stuff happening that we are not going to cover, and I don't feel like knowing what happens in the first three episodes will detract from your enjoyment of the rest of the show. No, if anything, it may give you a framework so that you don't have to pay attention quite so hard the first three episodes like we did. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, so um, let's get into this. So episode one is basically the whole backstory of the show, and it's set a couple years before all the main action takes place, and it kind of sets up what the tribes are. We're not going to go into detail about the different tribes. It's It's too much. But basically, there's a tribe that's... I'm pretty sure is inspired by Homo sapiens. Mm-hmm. And then there's a tribe that's inspired by Neanderthals. They even sound close to that a little bit, but they're not exactly called that. Yeah, they're called Neanderthals. Yeah. So they're like a couple of letters off. <laughs> yeah. And the Neanderthals, <laughs> I was like, are they werewolves? <laughs> yeah. So, so instead of the Neanderthal who we have pictured to be kind of hulking and dumb, the Neanthals are, like, very life and, like, mystical and have, like, superpowers. They're, like, vampire werewolves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they have blue blood and they wear the skulls of animals on their heads and they have blue lips and uh, blue scabs on their back. 
and they can basically have night vision, and they turn into these predatory, feral people. Yeah. Basically. And then there's the Homo sapiens, which are like the Saddam, which I thought was kind of funny because like Saddam is love. Baby girl. Shout out to uh, Super Junior. <laughs> yeah. So it basically starts with kind of introducing the, the tribes and then you see the humans and, and I'm just going to call them the humans and the Neanderthals to simplify things. And you see them, they're at kind of this meeting. And they're like, we need to work together. The humans have agriculture, and we figured it out, but we need your land. And you can protect us, Neanderthals. And the Neanderthals are like, we don't need garlic, sis. Yeah, they're like, we don't eat garlic. Bye. And then uh, the humans were like, well, if they're not going to cooperate with us, we need to kill them for their land. And then they shot flaming arrows at them, and somehow that defeated them all very quickly. <laughs> And um, then they called on, they're like, you know what we need? A genocide. So they're like, we're calling on the hunt. All of these Neanderthals, they need to die. If you see them, kill them. And I was like, uh. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. back up, back up. So they're like, they refuse to do this agreement, right? And then they're like, oh, they're going to be a threat, so we have to kill them all. Not only do they release flaming arrows, but they also have typhoid blankets. They have fucking smallpox blankets. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, th there's a character named Asahan, who I thought would be the main character, but she's only in the first episode, of course. She's the mom to the main character. Yeah. So she unknowingly brings these diseased blankets as a last resort. The Neanderthals are weakened and dying, and she's like, oh my god, what the fuck? I'm never going back. This is so shameful. And she basically finds um Baby, and she's like, I will be your mother. And then they light up the rest of the Neanderthals, because they're already weakened. And yeah. most of them die, and then they call on the genocide to kill all of them. At this point, Asahan has basically married, for lack of a better term, a Neanderthal man. And they have rescued slash had babies. Yes. So now they have, I believe, three or four children with them. They cut to a scene where their Neanderthal dad, he gets killed trying to protect a baby that he was bringing with him. And Asahan basically ends up fleeing with one of the babies. And Tagon, who is the son of the human leader, I guess you could say, steals another baby. At this point, I was like, which baby is which? I'm, I'm getting confused. Are they twins? I think they're twins. And then they're introduced to prophetic dreams. And yes. apparently humans cannot dream. Only the Neanderthals can dream. Or yeah. the Ngutu, which are the product of human Neanderthal breeding. Yeah. They can dream. But humans can't dream. And then Asahan has a dream. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> At this point, I was like, um, what's going on? So in Asahan's dream, it basically says that if you don't give me the baby, I will kill the baby's father, who is Razgu, the Neanderthal that she had sex with. And she's wink, like, wink. <laughs> and she's like, no, I won't do that. And then the father dies. So she's like, oh, the prophecy is coming true. And the prophecy also, the dream tells her to not follow the singing man who was Tagon in that scene and to run away. So she decides she wants to go to a land called Eark. Eark is different from Arth, where they are right now. A-R-T-H is the land 
with the humans and the Neanderthals. Earth at this point has not been explored. Arth basically ends in a gigantic, what they call Black Cliff, which is a gigantic Black Cliff that leads to like a lowland where there are Desert. like geysers and stuff. Imagine in The Lion King, the yeah. elephant graveyard. It looks like that. <laughs> yeah, like a bubbling elephant graveyard. Yeah. yeah. So that is what Earth starts off at. Asahan is determined to go to Earth because she has been told and the knowledge has been passed down that the gods who are giving her this dream prophecy don't have any power in Earth. So she's trying to save the baby and herself by getting her and the baby to Earth. Now, to get down the Black Cliffs, there is one cave amongst a thousand caves that lead you safely down. So basically, in episode one, they time skip again. <laughs> Again. Again. To Asahan being a little bit older and her son, Unsum, being about five or six. Yeah. He finally found the way down, Unsum did. So they go down and basically she walks across this burning desert with him on her back. She collapses in the forest. Her feet are badly burned. And she dies as he is found by the people that live in Earth. And that's kind of how episode one ends. That was one episode. (laughs) (laughs) The following two episodes are not as complicated as that. Not as much setup. They build on a a lot of the characters, and it is very complicated to keep up with, but let's let's go episode two. Okay, episode two. Unsum is now like a sexy, I guess, like 18-year-old. He wears a leather- (laughs) Emily- the actor is definitely- A smexy 18-year-old. <laughs> the actor is definitely over 18. He's wearing a leather vest with nothing underneath, tribal fashion, <laughs> and he is seen as like a weirdo by the tribe that basically adopts him, and the tribe that adopts him, they're hunter-gatherers. They don't think that you can own the land. Mm. They do like- face painting. It's very elaborate, like, beautiful face painting. Yes. Um, that kind of sets them apart from the other tribes. Well, the other tribes face paint, too, but it's it's different face paint. Yeah. They seem very spiritual, like, very in touch with the earth. Yeah, they have their main goddess, I guess you could say, is the wolf mother. And there is one person in their tribe, uh, Yolson, who is Tanya's mom, is basically their, like, spiritual leader. Tanya is basically Unsum's girlfriend, you could think of it as, that they don't use that title, but she basically gets him out of deep shit when he has stolen a horse to run away on. He thinks back to Asahan, and she's like, when the scab on your back falls off, you need to return to Arth. And his scab has fallen off. And so he steals a horse and he doesn't know how to ride it. He's trying to use it to cross the desert. And the people in his tribe are like, you can't ride a horse. That's insane. Are you crazy? And Tanya defends him. No, we should give him a chance. The leader of the tribe is like, if you can ride the horse in two weeks, you can stay because that would be useful. But if you can't, you gotta leave. And that's basically the ultimatum that he's given. And it kind of adjusts itself a little bit because Tanya is supposed to take over her mother's role as like the wolf mother spiritual leader, but she can't complete their mystical spirit dance. She keeps falling at the end. So Unsum is apparently a really fast learner and is like trying to help her complete the dance before he leaves. So there's still like this unfinished business. Meanwhile, we flash back to Tagon and Tagon is growing a lot of power. 
He finally defeats the last Neanderthal. He's completed the genocide. And his dad, <laughs> his dad's like, oh, you can't come home. You need to go down to Eark now. So they build this gigantic, like, elevator system. And they end up going down to Eark in hopes of conquering it and taking the land. So in the middle of Unsum trying to, like, resolve finished business and go back to Earth to climb the, you know, the Black Cliffs, they suddenly get attacked by Arthdal warriors who are led by Tagon, and things get bloody. Yeah, I did not like this. I felt like it was a little excessive. There was a lot of screaming and crying. They chain them up and make them, like, basically do a death walk. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ugh. Basically, their whole tribe gets slaughtered, save maybe, like, 30 of them. Yeah. And they're getting carted off it to be slaves. Yes. Which, I mean, I guess is historically accurate, but this isn't based on real history, so. Yeah, I mean, it seemed maybe a little unnecessarily bloody, but it did get the point across that, like, these humans and humans led by Tagon are evil, and that is the message they're trying to send. Meanwhile, Unsum does not get caught up in all of this. He arrives too late on the horse that he's finally figured out how to ride. A horse that Tanya named Helper, because she wanted the horse to help him. He comes in like a bat out of hell, tries to rescue them, and fails miserably. More people are killed. <laughs> More people are killed. Tanya tells him to go. She has to be with her people and for him to rescue them later. Which I was like, what was the point of this? <laughs> Yeah, I think the point of it was to kind of allude to this spiritual underpinning that's been happening since episode one, that Unsum has some sort of godlike power, or he is a god. There's a lot of questions going on with that, because Asahan, right before she died, said "Oh, to her son, oh, you are this god. He's like, I don't understand, mom, because he's six. <laughs> and so they are trying to basically allude that he is Aramun Heisala, and they are basically setting up that storyline for him to be that character or that god. We'll see where they go with that. Let's go to episode three, because them getting carted off to slavery is basically the end of episode two. That's true. So episode three, Unsum follows them into Arth. They've gone up the escalator, all the enslaved Eark tribe. Then they rely more heavily on some political subterfuge that's happening within Arthdal. So Tagon's father essentially wants to have Tagon gone because he feels threatened by his own son, because his own son is extremely popular and very smart, if not evil. So he basically tells one of the tribes in Arthdal, the White Mountain tribe, that Tagon has been communing directly with the gods, which they get really offended about because the White Mountain people are the only people that can commune with the gods. Supposedly. Supposedly. So Tagon's father sets this up because Tagon is essentially a war hero, and he wants the White Mountain tribe to tarnish their name by punishing Tagon so that he can cement his place even further as the ruler of Arthdal, the most powerful man in Arthdal. Meanwhile, Tagon and this girl, Te'ala, who has not been developed very well no. <laughs> yet, they are toying with the idea of getting married. Te'ala is the daughter of the pirate tribe. They don't really give them a name. They're kind of like the nomadic stealing tribe. I don't know. And if they married, they would be really powerful. So Tagon's father is trying to prevent that from happening. 
that's pretty much all that happens in episode three. Unsum doesn't really do any rescuing of the Yark tribe people, but Tanya does look up at one point and sees Unsum's horse. So she knows that he's there and trying to help them. Episode three ends with Unsum and one of the little girls that actually survived this massacre going into a Arthdal town and seeing all of the development and civilization and being like, Whoa. what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, these people like literally lived in huts and then they go into a full-blown city and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah, so that's that's kind of where the episode ends. I'm really interested to see where they're going to go from here because basically this sets it up that Tagon and Unsum are in the same area mm-hmm. again. So. so that was the first three episodes. <laughs> A lot has happened. We hope that these summaries have helped you. (laughs) You explaining it again to me has been very helpful, (laughs) even though I've watched the episodes more than once. And read the episode recaps. Guys, I never said that I was a smart woman. (laughs) Let's get into our analysis, basically, of this. The plot of this, I feel, is too complicated. Far too complicated, especially in the first episode. I was extremely confused. I felt like it would be better served if maybe that was stretched over two episodes. Episode two and three, though, were much more simple, and I I was able to easily follow those. But the first episode, it was too much exposition. Honestly, after reading the episode recaps, I actually really like the setup of this show. I do agree that episode one, it's a lot of information really fast, and It's too much world building all at once. It's overwhelming for the viewer. But I definitely think that reading the episode recap helped me a lot because I felt like a lot of stuff got lost in translation or was too quick for me to really wrap my head around. So I definitely recommend reading those articles on dramabeans.com if you feel really lost in the first episode. I also feel like episodes two and three and where the story is generally going, it's a lot more fast-paced, so it's not boring. (laughs) Yeah. And now that I have a general idea of who is who and what's going on, it's a little bit more interesting to me. So I think it had kind of a rocky start, but it is shaping up to be a decent show. So the acting. I thought the acting in this was fairly good. I really liked Tagon and his band of warriors. Even though they were committing genocide, there was just like these moments where they're all drunk together and they're just like, yeah! Yeah. And it it just reminded me of like a bunch of pirates. Yeah, definitely. And even though they're evil, straight up, they're evil, I thought it was really charming and um, definitely, definitely reminded me of like the Dothraki from Game of Thrones. Yeah, for sure. I actually think all the actors are doing a really good job. I felt like Asa Han was a really good actress. She played that part well. And I also thought that all of the little kids who played the Neanthal or Igutu children were actually really good too. They played their little fierce role well. And I actually liked Tanya's mother's acting the best. She really... Mm-hmm dug into that character. She really presented a strong and spiritual front that she was basically like, I don't like Unsum, he shouldn't be here. But she also had a soft spot for her daughter's heart and is trying to be that strong leader even now that she's been captured, is really hurt and still has to go on. So I think she's an an incredible actress. And I like how Unsum is doing his character and developing his character. I think that was a really smart choice for him as well. I don't think anyone suffered from Korean overacting. No. Everyone was pretty on point. Subtlety was key, and I think they did it 
they all did it really well. Well, I think they knew that they're creating this not just for a South Korean audience. Mm-hmm. I think they knew that they were creating this for an international audience specifically. Mm-hmm. And international audiences have different tastes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Tagon's character, even though I hate him as a character, his acting is so good because he like is so charismatic mm-hmm. that you want to like him. But then you remember all the crap things that he's done, and you're like, oh, wait, he's a snake. His acting is really good also. So let's cover the cinematography and the set locations, because I feel like the costumes could be their own thing. So the cinematography, I felt like, was actually very well handled. Critics say that they used too much CGI, but I felt like, nah, it was totally fine. Yeah, I didn't, I was not distracted by any CGI whatsoever. In the dream sequences, I think it's maybe a little weird, but it's supposed to look weird because it's a dream. And other than that, I didn't really notice any blatant CGI craziness. In the first episode, things can be very dark, but not like Game of Thrones dark. Oh I could God. still see the outlines of people's faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I wasn't like, what the fuck? <laughs> Guys, we need to stop making everything so fucking dark. I cannot I see. have been saying this forever. Dark action movies where lots of things are happening in the dark, I'm like, turn on a fucking light. I have no (laughs) idea what's going on. It just looks like a mess of movement in the dark. The lighting overall, I felt, was really good. The sets, for the most part, were very beautiful. They shoot in Brunei. A lot of it, you can tell, is, like, outside. It's very, like, lush and beautiful. Oh my god, it's beautiful. (laughs) And even when they're not in the green forest, even the cliffs, it, it just looks great. It's mm-hmm. very natural. And I even think their shots like inside the huts and inside the cities, they do that really well. You can definitely tell when you are in a Arthdal constructed hut and when you are in an Earth tribe hut and when you are in a developed city, like you can easily see the upgrades in wealth and where they are just by looking at the scenery inside. So I thought they did a good job with that too. So let's touch on the costumes. The costumes were the best part of this drama, for me, hands down. Yeah. Straight up. Good job, costuming department, honestly. Just the amount of, like, furs, leather, and getting everyone to look cohesive but not the same for every single tribe in Arthdal and every single tribe in Eark. That was amazing. You could tell right off the bat in Eark when it wasn't the Weihan tribe and it was another tribe. You could tell, because they were dressed completely differently, but all still individual. Everyone had different hair, too, but even that, you could tell that they were part of one tribe or the other. Mm-hmm. Like, Tanya's mom, this is the first time I've ever seen, like, an older woman in a K-drama with straight-up gray hair. She had, like, this mass of gray hair, and I was like, work, bitch, yes. Yes. I was very, very impressed by the costuming. It definitely looked, you know, 10,000 BC, mm-hmm. but still, you know, with the... A flare of a drama. It definitely did remind me of Game of Thrones when they were dressed in the the fur and the leather. Mm -hmm. And critics are kind of split. They're like, this definitely is taking from Game of Thrones. It's taking too much. Other people are like, no, it's fine. I fall in the middle. Whatever. It can be inspired by Game of Thrones. Who cares? I feel like every fantasy, historical, anything is going to be compared to Game of Thrones from now on. So I feel like they can't win with that. Plot-wise, it is completely different, so I don't really see them pulling too much from Game of Thrones. The only thing I straight up thought that they copied was the opening credits. Yeah. (laughs) 
you guys know the Game of Thrones opening credits, you know, where it shows kind of like the construction of the different uh, castles and the mm-hmm. cities. That straight up was this opening. Yeah. <laughs> straight up. And I was like, hmm. So they definitely uh, stole that. But other than that, nah, I don't really see it too much. Yeah. And even if it did, it's so different that it doesn't matter. Very much so. So let's rank. So let's rank. Are we ranking on all three of these things? Yes. We're going to rank all three. So for the plot slash writing of the show, Rachel, what do you give it? One to five. Four. I think they do a really good job of world building. And the plot at this point where we ended at episode three is developed enough that I'm interested in it. I just think that the beginning could have been done a little bit better. I'm a 3.5. I feel like the seeds of the idea are there, and I love that it is so different from anything else we've seen, but I feel like they're trying to do too much at once. (laughs) That is quite possible, yeah. So for the acting. Four and a half. I really think that they did a really good job casting for this show, and, I mean, you heard me gushing about the acting earlier. I think Yelson's character, Tagon's character, Unsum's character, their actors and actresses are amazing. They did a really good job bringing those characters to life. I would say it's a four. I really enjoyed their acting. The guy who plays Tagon, he's so charismatic. Mm-hmm. Keep him away from me. <laughs> he is evil. He's he's like half smirk all the time. I know. It's crazy. It is my weakness. <laughs> Cinematography. Slash costumes, slash locations. So basically everything that's not the script or the acting. Uh, 4.5 for me, too. I really liked how it was shot. The locations, like, I want to live there. It's so pretty. And the costumes, I just thought were really well done and really helped distinguish the groups of people from each other. I would say this is a 5 for me. Everything about the sets and the costuming, I feel like, was truly inspired. Like, whoever did this... This is, like, their swan song. This is their piece de resistance. They put a lot into this, and I was extremely impressed. I don't think I've ever been as impressed with the costuming of a K-drama ever for anything. This was really good. So those are our overall ranks of the plot, of the acting, and of the cinematography and costuming for Arthdol Chronicles. If you guys like it, remember that you can find it on Netflix. Episodes are still being released at this moment. So if you binge past the three episodes, we'll see you there. Yeah. I think I'm going to continue watching it in my spare time as well. And if you find it hard to understand, please check out dramabeans.com and check out their episode recaps. They helped us a lot. I like to watch K-dramas with a glass of wine, and it has definitely helped. (laughs) Reading... (laughs) Oh, that's what happened. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, let's finish out this episode with our weekly K-pop recommendations, Rachel. My weekly recommendation, Boa, woman. That's all I gotta say. My weekly recommendation, you're probably gonna hear us talk about next week on the K-pop Roundup, but it is Snapping by Chung Ha. Sister snapped. She sister snapped in this song. Can't stop listening to it. Chika is also good. <laughs> 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. You can find Soulmates Podcast on Facebook.com slash Soulmates Podcast. You can find us on Tumblr at soulmatespodcast.tumblr.com. You can find us on Instagram at Soulmates Podcast. You can find us on YouTube at Soulmates Podcast. Send us an email at soulmatespodcast at gmail.com. You can now listen to our podcast anywhere you find podcasts, including Spotify, baby. We did it! Yeah! Sis, we did it. <laughs> We're on Spotify now. We have successfully moved our distribution stream over to anchor.fm. So check us out on Anchor. You can also find us on Pocket Casts, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you normally find podcasts, including Spotify. Again, don't forget to donate to our coffee account. A link is on our Facebook page. We are trying to get a soundboard. So if you like us, give us some money. Please. Please. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating or sharing the link. That would also be super helpful. Yes. Have a great week and we'll see you next Friday. Bye. Bye.